Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK, and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to Bike Radar Meets. I'm Rob Sweding, the grandly titled content director here at Bike Radar. We have two guests today. One of them has probably a grander title than me. So without further ado, let me introduce you to, firstly, Laura Laker. Laura, hello. Hi. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having us on. My pleasure, my pleasure. And to uh, the man with the grand title, Adam Tranter. Adam, hello. How are you? Uh, I'm all right, Rob. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. In these in these COVID nineteen lockdown times, we're still recording this um, during lockdown here in England. Here, so we're still in lockdown, and we're going to be talking about that because this podcast is going to be all about cycling, um, cycling as transport um, post COVID nineteen. We'll also talk a little bit about pre COVID nineteen because both Adam and Laura have a really big interest in this. Laura, let me start with you. Can you sort of tell uh, tell us about yourself, um, who you are, who you're working for, and we're also going to talk about your own podcast that you're doing with Adam. But uh, introduce yourself. Thanks. Yes. So my name is Laura Laker. I'm a cycling journalist, also writing about um, more sort of broad active travel kind of area at the moment. Um, I've been writing about cycling for about 10 years now. I ended up falling in love with it out out of uni and then uh, following a journalism course and basically just wanted to write about cycling ever since, Uh, mainly as a form of transport, because I quickly saw having moved to London and sold my car how wonderful cycling is for getting around and also how much potential it has for making the way that we live our lives and the places where we live so much better. Um, So yeah, I've been doing that for a long time now on a freelance basis. So I've written for the likes of The Guardian, um, lots of cycling titles. Um, And I've also joined the Active Travel Academy, which is a bit of an academic think tank, which was started last year, last September by Dr. Rachel Aldred, at Westminster University and so that's been really good we've been doing working on media reporting of active travel and we did a media awards and I'm doing some research with them so that's very exciting um and also now into the world of podcasts excellent we're going to talk a little bit more about your podcast in a minute I'm already uh, feeling slightly out of my depth as you've just run through your CV there uh which moves me on to Adam Adam um Adam and I have, have worked together with each other for quite a while I've been um, a cycling journalist I suppose for 12 years 13 years now and our paths crossed quite early but Adam you're more than uh, you were a cycling journalist what are you now? I don't know Um, I I, I guess I started uh, I started out of um, cycling cycling has always been my thing and and um, I I started off uh, racing a bike um, which I had these kind of grand illusions that I might be able to make a career out of uh, of, of racing uh, cycling, 
Um, that was hindered by finishing about 37th in every single race that I, I did. Um, and there were normally about 40 people. Um, so that wasn't going to, uh, that wasn't going to happen. Um, so I did coming out of school, like I did all I knew, which was actually writing about cycling. So I did, um, some freelance journalism. Um, I think I've written, might've written something for cycling plus at one point. Um, but we've, we've obviously worked together on, on bits and bobs and that writing then led me into kind of more communications. So I set up a business called Fusion Media, which is, uh, PR and comms, uh, specializing in cycling and running and active travel and things like that. And then I guess over the last couple of years, um, we've had a few clients that have really led us down a certain path, which is like Brompton, for example. And that path has been about getting more people on bikes. Um, so, uh, that's kind of like changed our focus and going maybe from the sport of cycling, which I know obviously cycling plus does a lot on, on that part, but also, uh, like everyone is now realizing that, you know, there are, uh, other, um, you know, cyclists and made of transport is sort of seeing a resurgence in the, in the UK. So I've been focusing on, uh, on that and that's led to, um, some campaigning work. Uh, and I've also, um, quite recently become, um, the bicycle mayor of, uh, Coventry, which is, um, a, uh, a role based loosely on, uh, in the Netherlands, they have something called nightmares, which need a better name. <laughs> um but they are people that look after the nighttime economy um and they are independent of council and government but they are effectively lobbyists um to look after the um the needs and uh views of the people they serve so club owners bar owners you know pubs people things like that um so i'm effectively doing the same job for uh for cycling uh in the city of coventry which is where i was born um and uh it's if you don't know uh, probably the most car obsessed city in the country um which is which is a challenge but i'm uh, i'm enjoying it so how did that come about adam um were you you weren't you obviously weren't elected there wasn't a big campaign trail you're you're you, you didn't have posters of you plastered around coventry did you you weren't up against like other famous people from coventry no Dion Dublin, no, no. Didn't, was he he played for coventry uh, he played or, for coventry yeah. yeah i'm not sure he's from coventry but he did play there but would he have gone for the cycling mayor role if if it had been available to him? Possibly we need to not. Ask. I don't. Yeah, I uh, I don't think um, I don't think I think anybody really would want to do this to do this job. And I'm not saying that for for a fact. <laughs> I, um, I, I it is it is a real challenge. And I think you know I'm I'm fortunate enough to have some time because of my job and quite a lot of correlation that I'm able to maximize maybe some of the work i'm doing to benefit what you know what's happening locally um there wasn't you know uh like a, an election like you'd expect um i guess with with um uh more formal roles i guess more similar it's more akin to maybe like a club society or a community society where i had to get letters of recommendation from people within the community and also the cycling bodies like cycling uk cycling the all-party parliamentary cycling group they all kind of uh endorsed this concept of what i was uh what i was doing so yeah that's uh that's how i came about and i just read about it is in, in the answer to your first question is um i was reading about the junior bicycle mayor in fact uh, of amsterdam amsterdam is so progressive that not only do they have one of the highest modal shares in the world of cycling they have not only a bicycle mayor but they also have a junior bicycle mayor so they have about a, a 10 year old um who who fights for the rights of of children who cycle and of course 10 year olds 
frequently cycle to school unaided in the Netherlands. So it's actually quite, you know, quite an important thing. So I saw that and thought, well, that's progressive. That's good. We should do something here. And I found out actually there is a guy doing that here in Cumbria. His name is Richard Ingham. Uh, Cumbria is obviously a very different, um, uh, a different territory. Um, and that's, uh, that's why I really wanted to do something in a city. So I'm the first in the UK city and the second bicycle mayor here in the UK. And how long has that been? How long have you been doing that? And what are the challenges challenges that you're facing? As you said, Coventry, Britain's probably Britain's most car centric city, and that's because of its history of car building and, and the like. And, and obviously, it was rebuilt after World War Two, so built very much, uh, rebuilt very much with getting more people driving, I guess. So, so what are the what challenges are you are, fi- are you finding there? Briefly, the challenges really are that we are um, we are addicted to cars, um, and in Coventry, we uh, we have a, a transport system that's designed around the private car, and also we've got quite a lot, uh, quite a strong political force um, for cars because we still make them uh, in the city. That's where Jaguar Land Rover are based. But what we tend to forget is that the modern bicycle was invented in Coventry. Um, by a chap called J.K. Starley, and he created uh, the safety bicycle uh, under a name Rover, uh, which then started to make uh, motorbikes and cars, which then you know is now Jaguar Land Rover. So we've got a long uh, history of uh, cycling, but uh, it's been overtaken by the by the motor vehicle, and that's why um, cycling needs a voice, and people on bikes need support in commentary, and that's what I'm aiming to do. And are you finding you're getting support from the local? local authority and local people um i think you know we're working together and and um this is new so uh we are finding finding our feet i think is is the best way to put it there is a there is an increasing political will for cycling it's by no means what it needs to be um and i think that's true for a lot of places in the country um but you know the, i had a call with the council this morning talking about some of the temporary plans that we might be able to to achieve um, and you know they they're open-minded and and uh, uh, you know want to listen. I think the the issues really with local councils comes down to um, to prioritisation uh, and funding. And I know that's a, also a, you know a get-out clause. Um, if you you know if you if councils are talking about these things, it's often first sighted. But um, increasingly, and I know we'll talk about this, is you know cycling and walking are coming very high up on that agenda. And um, Chris Boardman says this, and he mentioned it in our in our podcast the other day that politicians typically have around a hundred fires that they need to put out, and they'll fix the ten that are going to burn them first. Um, so we, you know, that we have to bear in mind that that cycling is rapidly rapidly rising up that agenda, and we might be able to uh, to make sure that that makes things better for people on bikes. Um, and you you mentioned your podcast there, so Laura, you and Adam and another person have come together to create uh, a podcast can you tell us uh, tell us more about streets ahead that that's the that's the podcast isn't it <laughs> Rob you make it sound like uh, the person that shall not be named like he's Voldemort mystery or guest um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the third person is Ned Bolting who uh, many of your listeners will know from the Tour de France and from his many uh, very entertaining books that he's written on cycling and uh yeah, so um, we started, it's not been going that long, has it? But it's been a whirlwind of activity, thanks to Adam and his uh, relentless drive to um, to improve the world of cycling. So, um, yeah, we've got three, as we speak, we've got three episodes out. Uh, the first one, it was just me, just us three, uh, me and Adam and Ned. And then the second one, we had Dr. Ian Walker talking about 
the psychology of car dependence and that was super interesting. And then on the third one, we had Chris Boardman, uh, who everyone all know. And then we have another one coming out soon-ish, I believe, with the um, with the head of the AA, uh, Edmund King. Uh, so yeah, it's been it's been busy, and we're and we're kind of talking about um, about sort of livable streets, cycling, walking, the future of transport, and obviously a lot of it's focused around the current situation and what's going to happen to the future. So it's a bit of a crystal ball situation and so much yeah. is changing so quickly, but it's an interesting conversation to be having and people seem to be enjoying it. So if we look at sort of Britain now and maybe Britain before May or before March, say, sorry, how, how do we do as a cycling nation? In general. Silence. For, <laughs> beforehand, beforehand, pretty badly. I mean, we weren't as bad as some, um, but not as good as a lot of places. Not as good as most. Not as good as most European countries, I should say, or a lot of European countries. Um, You're being polite, often, Laura. I yeah, think. I mean, yeah, and it's not just yeah. It's a lot of things. Obviously, it's infrastructure or a massive lack of. Um, it's just sort of car dominant thinking for the last however many decades, and it's also. Um, yeah, it's just sort of, you know, ultimately a lack of political leadership and, and a sort of strange attitude towards cycling, which I, I thought until quite recently was an English speaking country problem. But, uh, because obviously Australia, well, I don't know, actually, I say obviously, maybe you're not familiar with how bad Australia is for cycling mm. in terms of attitude and infrastructure, but it's way worse than we are here. Um, and also the US, although saying that um, many of the sort of pop up infrastructure that we've been seeing uh, during the crisis has in, has started in the US. I mean, they were the early adopters, which is quite interesting. Um, but what uh, do you mean yeah. by pop-up infrastructure? Uh, just just um, for because so, some of us haven't actually been riding that much, so we probably haven't seen yeah. any. So, if if yeah. you in um, London, is there a lot of that happening? And what is it? Uh, no, there isn't. Um, no. So the pop-up infrastructure is no one will have been cycling in America unless they live over there, um, but not from the UK. But yeah, so basically, it's just obviously there's fewer cars on the road or you know it's we're down to sort of 1950s level of traffic i think that we're sort of 60 percent lower than usual or we're at 50 or 60 percent um of normal traffic levels and with that has come extra space on the road people are obviously at home wanting to get out for their daily exercise and many people are taking to cycling for the first time in a long time so in London, I've certainly seen a lot of families out on bikes that you wouldn't have seen before. And in response to that, some cities around the world have put this temporary cycle infrastructure in, which is basically sort of bollards or um, plastic barriers to help people cycle. And some places it's been sort of for key workers specifically. I know Leicester did um, did a key worker cycling route, which is near a hospital. Um, but yeah, in terms of London, not much has happened yet. Hackney were the first place in the first council in the UK to announce they were going to do some access only streets so modal filtering which basically means like plonking plonking a kind of planter or some bollards in a street so that traffic can't go through but cycling and walking is permitted through and it just makes it a bit safer for social distancing but of course uh, yesterday uh, there was a big announcement in London that um, there's going to be more of this across the city because as restrictions are lifted there's going to be issues of people not being able to get on public transport in the same sort of capacity that they were before and even if you know people don't necessarily even want to get on public transport because of the risk of uh, of infection so if we think 
you know what the other options it's basically driving or active travel and and I think I think everyone in charge in London's realized that we need to encourage active travel if we're to avoid gridlock and air pollution and all the problems that come with that so yeah there's a lot going on I think you're, you know, in London, especially um, the the Mayor of London, Will Norman, the Cycling and Walking Commissioner, was saying that there are around 10 million um, public transport journeys each and every day in in the capital. Um, they estimate um, that there will be about 10 percent of the actual capacity available on public transport. So that's leaving, you know, around nine million people, nine million journeys rather. Uh, that need to be made uh, every single day, um, and they just don't have a have a choice. Um, cycling can carry about five times as many more people through the same section of space than private cars can. Um, so this is really just a maths game. Um, if you have, even in some boroughs in London, if you just have secondary school children getting on the bus to go to school, that will overwhelm the bus network, the available bus network. So we're in this kind of rather radical situation in some of our cities where there is no choice uh, if you want to get the economy going again, um, other than getting more people walking and more people cycling. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's good news for the planet. It's good news for people who ride bikes. and It's good news for people who want to ride bikes, but have been too scared. And and we're, we're recording this a day after the British um, Prime Minister Boris Johnson in uh, Prime Minister's questions actually heralded the post-COVID-19 period perhaps as a golden age for cycling. Um, Boris is famously a cyclist. Uh, I've seen him at the start of Ride London, one of the UK's biggest uh, biggest sportives. He didn't catch me, so I don't know how he got on, but that was quite a while back. But he you know, famously photographed riding a bike a lot do you think that's true laura do you think this is going to be a golden age for cycling i thought you meant does boris really ride a bike then for a second or is pretending? you can answer both of those questions <laughs> it's entirely up no, to I've you cycling too. <laughs> um well i think the intention is there certainly from some parts of the government to do something um quite radical in terms of improving how we go back not only for helping people socially distance now but also in terms of um there was a, also an announcement from Manchester yesterday where Andy Burnham was talking about building back better I think that's their slogan in Manchester that they also announced a big um range of cycling and walking net, uh, improvements across the city in across the boroughs um with the aim of not only making it easy to walk and cycle now, but also to, you know, to improve people's health in the medium and long term and also to help businesses. But I think from central government, there is that kind of desire, certainly from some parts, but it's always with anything the size of the British government, it's always, you know, there's always going to be someone who kind of gets in the way at some point. So, I mean, for this to happen, you need several departments on board, including the Department of Transport and the Treasury. And the Treasury has been historically a bit reticent in this. Um, But, you know, we think about this, there's an enormous pot of money, billions and billions of pounds for road building, which seemed backwards when it was announced and it has done for the last decade I mean we've known for 40 or 50 years that building more roads generates more uh, car journeys which increases traffic pollution and congestion and from what we know the early studies on the mortality rates of people with COVID-19 as pollution level rise 
levels rise. There's obviously a worrying uh, part there. And yeah, as you say, Boris is a cyclist and he believes in cycling. As London mayor, he introduced the um, sort of biggest and best network of cycle routes that the country had seen. Uh, and, you know, that's only sort of starting to spread out now. There's a lot, there's a lot of places with plans, but, you know, London's still the, the leader in the country on what we've got on the ground. And he did that with Andrew Gilligan, who, of course, now is his advisor in number 10. And Andrew will be keen, as he was as cycling commissioner in London, to see cycling improvements around the country. But yeah, he's just one guy. And um, Chris Heaton-Harris, cycling minister, he um, is keen on cycling, uh, although he describes himself as a fair weather cyclist. Um, I think I think there's potential, basically, for something quite bold to happen. But I, I don't want to, I mean, it's hard to second guess, really. I mean, you, yeah, I've spoken to people in the DFT, no one really wants to say anything. Uh, yeah, so we'll probably, we might even know by the time this podcast is out, in which case uh, this, this will be moot, but uh, who knows? Still worth talking about, though, because, you know, historically, um, governments have always said quite nice things about cycling, wanting to encourage more people to, to get on bikes. I am old enough, to, and my first job in journalism uh, involved being in a press conference with the then, I think, Deputy Prime Minister John Prescott in 1998 when he launched the integrated transport plan for the UK. I was working for a transport magazine. Uh, it was called Parking Review. I'm getting that out there now. It was about the parking industry, <laughs> but it was for a, we had lots of other things. Local transport today, urban environment oh, yeah. today um, were also parts of our uh, our portfolio. So I, I was sort of there then, and I did. And before this podcast, I went and had another look at that white paper. And actually, there was surprisingly little about cycling. It was very vague. It was more about public transport and transport hubs. And as far as I can work out, not a lot of that's actually happened. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Adam, in your role as, as say, the, the, the bicycle mayor for Coventry, part of your role is going to be to persuade Coventry to take measures after COVID-19 or once we sort of the lockdown restrictions are, are reduced, you, you, part of your role is going to be to persuade them to implement more um, cycling infrastructure, walking infrastructure. That's going to be difficult, isn't it? I mean, you've, uh, how are you going to outline the benefits to them and how are you going to counter the fact that they're going to come back to you and say, this is going to cost a lot of money? Mm. I think um, I think there's a couple of things to consider um, with that question. I think one is, councils have you know have haven't control their own budgets to do all, all manners of highway maintenance if they're a highways authority so um it's really um uh, it's really up to up to them and it's in their gift now um to be able to increase and enhance cycling now when i say in that gift i mean that gift is is you know increasingly like each christmas it's turning into a lump of coal um, because uh, councils are stretched, and we look at things like potholes, um, where uh, you know leave leave councils to deal with potholes on their own, and there'll be a constant backlog. And and actually now the government have seen that and put in central funds. So um, a lot of councils move um, move their position based on the available funding that there is, and I think that's why it does involve um, you know involve national national leadership, which I'm sort of i'm i'm an optimist and it often comes to bite me but i you know i think that there is an opportunity at this minute um for a real change and i think boris johnson 
not because anything to do with him personally, really, but more the fact that to understand the benefit of active travel, you need to have done it. You need to do it. You need to experience. We all know that the best way to get people to see your point of view is for them to, you know, walk a, uh, walk in your shoes. So um, it's effectively the same. Boris Johnson has cycled in London. I've cycled behind him on Tottenham Court Road with no cycling provision. I, I know um, that, uh, you know, he would not have been enjoying that journey and realising this isn't very good. Um, and you can see that um, he's got the data and he's got Andrew Gilligan who who spearheaded a lot of that um, next to him. But I do think it has to come from central government. And I think there is a wider thing here. I found out last week that Public Health England is only funded by about £300 million a year, which is about £5 per person uh, in England. And that's uh, no one until now knew, knew what Public Health England was. It's only because they're keeping us sort of alive now that we we, we appreciate it. Um, we didn't know. And it links me to this kind of thing like prevention is much better than the cure. So for every time you build a road, it costs society a lot of money. You know, sometimes car travel is subsidized, you know, by about 40 to 50 percent because of um, uh, pollution, because of the negative effects to society, because of the space we lose. Whereas for every pound you spend on cycle lanes, um, the benefits to the wider area and economy is £5.50 back, according to the DFT, Department of Transport's own figures. So I think we need to look at um, the kind of cost versus benefit scenario, because this is an investment. We're in this rare situation now where bikes could literally save our economy uh, and mitigate against the second wave of infection by having crowded public transport. So all of a sudden, uh, the bike is useful. Do you think that could be – so we could see a bicycle boom, and, and I think there are examples of other crises that have led to a, a boom in cycling. But is it – does it take something like this to persuade more people to get on bikes? Because we spent years as, as in, in cycling trying to persuade people that, you know, it's just a really good thing to do. Does it take something like this to persuade more people to get on bikes, Laura? Well – I don't think people need much persuading, actually. I think it's more about just having the infrastructure there that they can do it in safety. I think poll after poll has found that most people would like to cycle, but the number one reason they don't is fear of traffic. And that's why we're seeing people out on their bikes now, because that traffic has reduced so dramatically that now when people look out on their roads, they think, well, actually, that looks safe for me and my family to go cycling. Um, So I think... I think there is um, historical precedent for a crisis making changes in society. It can highlight issues. It can also exacerbate inequalities, but it can be a catalyst that pe- you know that makes people stop and think: Is this the way we want to live our lives? And and enabling people to see things differently. And obviously, people are needing social distance at the moment. We're seeing how how kind of the cracks in our active travel infrastructure in both cycling and, and the walking space on the pavements is so limited compared with the space that we were allocating to cars. And people say, um, I mean, I guess it's like if you move house, I was chairing a panel um, at the beginning of the year, where we were talking about the kind of similarities between tobacco and the car industry and we were talking about how we make change and it was actually Dr Ian Walker was on that panel as well and and they were saying then that the best time to make a change in someone's life in terms of the way they travel in terms of you know in this case giving up their car and traveling actively is when they move house and you know the environment's different and maybe there's a cycle route to work and it's just about sort of enabling that when people are already thinking about how 
they're going to live their new life. And, and we're thinking about this now. And this week, we're talking about governments talking about maybe relaxing restrictions a little bit. And everyone's thinking about how they're going to go back to their to their new lives. And, and you know, it's, it's a different world that we're, going, we're coming back to. Um, obviously, there's going to be big economic impacts to this, but also, um, you know, mental health issues that have come up because of this crisis. Mental health has been a much bigger issue than it was before. And, you know, people being trapped indoors and perhaps in hostile environments at home or you're losing their job. And we know that exercise is fantastic for people's mental health, you know, being able to get out and access green space and do some physical exercise, get the endorphins and just being around nature, you know, so many benefits. And also to our local economies as well, if we're working from home more, say, then, um, you know, using local businesses. Um, I think sometimes it does just take a crisis. We've been talking about enabling cycling for years, for decades, and government after government say, you know, we want to encourage cycling and this government said it and the previous government said it and nothing ever really happens. Um, but I think sometimes it does take that kind of um, shaking up how, you know, it's been an awful, awful experience, you know, not to not to downplay that. But um, but it does make you think differently about the world. Ultimately, I think it depends also how strong the competition is and how strong the the other forces are. And I think um britain or cycling in britain doesn't have you know a great history of um campaigning for cycling if you look at what happened in the in the netherlands um with the stop the kindermord um motion and movement and also um you know the oil crisis and things like that um we've uh we've we've not been able to have those kind of moments in in time um, and uh, it also, you know, I think we need to remember that cycling will only work if it's made convenient and safe for people. So, you know, people would do what's easy, which is why if you ask people to walk everywhere, they'll walk everywhere. But if you give them electric scooters, they might scoot those distances as well, uh, which is fine by me. But, you know, they um, that, you know, people would do what's inherently lazy. And that comes to electric cars as well. Um, you know, a lot of people driving petrol or diesel cars will think, well, actually, I could get an electric car and then I can, you know, not change any part of my life and do it totally guilt free. Um, but of course, you know, electric cars still cause uh, congestion. They still, you know, have the potential to kill 1.3 million people every year in, in accidents. Um, and they still cause particulate matter uh, through braking tire wear and road wear which can, um, you know, particle pollution get into children's lungs and affect brain development, um, which studies have shown. So um, we need to be careful that, you know, uh, I see a lot in the media about, um, you know, Elon Musk as this kind of, um, you know, guy that will, will save us. And it, it really frightens me um, because uh, we could just end up having the next 50 to 70 years going down the wrong path again. And I look back at someone shared with me something from 1978, yesterday it was a it was a council it was an it was something a new scientist um and it was about balam having a cycle experiment in 1978 and guess what they wanted to do they wanted to build cycle lanes they wanted to put filters in roads to reduce rat running and traffic and they wanted to improve people's health and people didn't cycle because they didn't feel it was safe that was 1978 and we're still people out there campaigning now saying guess what? Cycling would do all of these things still. Do you want to consider it? Um, so we do have to make sure we don't just, you know, go back to that status quo because it's just too easy. 
So two things there. Nothing's really changed, and you're you're going to get into a Twitter spat with Elon Musk by the sounds of it. This sounds good. I look forward to that one. Yes, I actually wrote an article the other day for somebody, and they had to run it past their legal team because of the Elon Musk <laughs> reference, which I was particularly proud of. That's good. To, good to hear. Bad to hear. I don't know where I stand on that one. I'll say nothing. I mean, how can we as cyclists? I mean, that's the other thing. I think you know the best advocates for cycling are cyclists, right? So how can we encourage people, um, the people who have who have started uh, started cycling during the during this crisis, mainly for as you've said, Laura, for mental health, for fitness, and actually some, a lot of people to get to work. How do we? keep them doing that basically i'm going to claim it now how do we keep britain riding um post covid19 well i think there is an appetite from a lot of councils around the country um, a lot of councils have done these pop-up bike lanes that i mentioned earlier and many many more are considering them um whether they're doing that openly or not is another matter um it's the same situation that we find at national level some you'll find in councils some people want to do it some people don't and it's always going to be that push-pull situation. The thing that can tip it is public opinion and, pu- and public demand. And if people want this stuff to happen, then they basically need to contact their local councillors um, and or their local MPs. I mean, local councillors have powers at local level to do something called, you know, without getting into too much technicalness, um, do something called um, experimental traffic orders, which basically allows you to make changes to the roads Um in a temporary manner and then you can sort of they can consult on it um during the um experiment but you know stuff like that is possible basically especially at the moment with this need for social distancing and so that's one way of doing it um yeah yeah i think that's i think that's probably a big one actually um it's just sort of just you know asking your politicians about it it's like adam was saying um you know quoting chris boardman um, politicians are, are fighting fires all the time and one thing they want to do is get re-elected and they may care about this and just need support from local people or they may not have thought of it before and if people start asking them about it then it becomes a, a problem that they need to then address. The other thing for me um, is just that power of persuasion and you know individually so we've seen it with the, some of the work we've been doing with Brompton through, through, through my company um, they've uh, they started or have, you know, provided bikes to NHS workers and they started off with one guy and then that one guy told five of his friends and then now, uh, you know, I think they've just handed over something like their thousandth bike to NHS workers all around the country. And that's purely because people, you know, come into work, feel frustrated with their journey, they're worried that, you know, they've got issues with public transport at the moment. And they see people with bikes going, oh, this is this is great. So I think really being a good advocate for cycling, like most of your listeners and readers will already be, but maybe just taking the time. Um, I've made a real effort over the last couple of months to just anyone who's shown any feign interest in cycling is just to go, right, come, you know, try this bike or, you know, loan them a bike for a couple of days. And and very rarely do they go, oh, yeah, I, I you know, I had that and I didn't think it was very good. Um, in the same way, people go to Netherlands on holiday didn't come back and go I had a really nice time but I wish there were more cars um so when people when people see it they um they they really get it and I think the second thing that some readers could do and I, I I come I come at this from a good place because my background of riding a bike and riding a bike fast and wearing Lycra which I haven't you know I haven't worn Lycra in several years um comes from the fact that I used to see cycling purely as a recreation and actually, there are probably several of your um, listeners who might ride their bikes every Sunday 
or you know at weekends or on the chain gang in the evening um but they might you know they might like i did i used to drive a couple of miles to work at that time uh so i was i was riding bike hundreds of miles over the weekend and then when it came to my normal habit i would drive to work so just um maybe riding your bike a bit more for everything um 68 of journeys in the uk by car under five miles a quarter under one mile and you know within that within that group there will be people who call themselves cyclists who maybe just for a very small tweak could go and get their bread or milk or take their kids to school by um by bike which would make a massive difference and then like i did people saw me doing it and go oh how can I do that? And then all of a sudden you've got a group of five, 10, 15 people who are doing it. I mean, basically that advice sounds good to me. That's ride more. Ride more, talk more, mm. um, and lend your bike to people when it's safe to do so, um, to get them to try it. Because, you know, a lot of people are very worried about going to bike shops or, you know, the thought of it and, you know, putting it off for several weeks and just getting someone on that first bike uh, can make a massive, a massive difference. Fantastic. Nice positive note to end it on. Laura, Adam, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do you want a, one more plug for, for your podcast? What's it called? Where can people find it? Um, the podcast is called Streets Ahead. Uh, we talk about cycling, walking, livable streets, urban design, and you can find it on all good podcast providers, and it's absolutely free. So please subscribe. Of course, other podcasts are available including oh, this come one, on, Rob. The, bike, the Bike Radar podcast. So uh, <laughs> please subscribe to us as well if you've enjoyed this. Um, if you have any comments or questions, you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Uh, so do, do tell us what you thought of this podcast. Uh, and once again, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.